1: All right, we're continuing our study in the book of Proverbs, and we're just working our way systematically through it. And just so, just so that you understand, work, trying to work verse by verse through Proverbs does not work. It's almost impossible to do that because it's, it's not in a, an outline form because of the type of literature. We know it's wisdom literature. That's not the way the book is put together. So what we're doing is we're going through systematically and coming upon topics. And then whatever topic that we study, like today we're looking at the the idea of what does it mean to be a good neighbor. Uh, We will go through the rest of the book of Proverbs and bring in those verses that apply to it. And it's that way we can make some sense out of it. All right, so we're just going to review a little bit. Remember, Proverbs is wisdom literature, we talked a little bit about that, which means that it's, it's written down in, in a different concept. And you have to keep that in mind or you're not going to really understand what the book of Proverbs is all about. For example, Proverbs sometimes just tells you the way things are. It's not even just telling you what to do about it, but just giving you wisdom, like this is the way life works. Okay. And so the perfect, pur- purpose of the book is to make one wise, and we've already looked at kind of a working definition that wisdom is the ability to handle life with skill. Proverbs addresses all areas of life, but in a very practical manner. In other words, Proverbs doesn't just tell you uh, that this is right and this is wrong, but how do you remedy that, okay? And so this morning we're gonna examine our relationship to our neighbors. And so the opening, the beginning text that we're going to be looking at is Proverbs 3, verses 27 to 30. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, "Go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it," when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives in security beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause. If he has done you, no harm. Now, that's the beginning text. We're going to look not only at these verses, but at some of the other verses in Proverbs and the rest of Scripture. Now, there's an important preliminary question when we deal with the the concept of how to become a good neighbor, and that is, who is your neighbor? Well, we don't have to wonder too much because Jesus answers that question for us. In Luke 10, verses 29 to 37, uh, that which we all know as the parable of the good Samaritan. Luke 10. Uh, this is the beginning of, remember, this follows the, the idea of what must, the rich man comes and what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what does the law say? And the rich young man answered it correctly. Uh, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus tells him, well, go and do that. And then wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, and we go through this parable. A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and went off leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. When he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn, took care of him. Next day, he took out two denarii, gave gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. Now, obviously, there's a lot of lessons in that parable, but that's not what we're looking at. We we talk about this parable. We bring it up basically to answer the question, who is my neighbor? All right. And so your neighbor... Is not limited to those who just live near you. It's not just those who live on either side and across the street. Based on the words of Jesus, your neighbor is anyone you come in contact with or interact with. All right? The Samaritan didn't know the injured man, but he was the one who stopped and helped him anyway. When you see someone in need, there is an obligation to help them. That's the, one of the conclusions of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, there's a lot of other good stuff in that parable, but uh, for our purposes, this is the one we're looking at. So now, why is this true? Why is it true that when you see someone in need, you have an obligation to help them? And this is where we have to go back and remember what prompted the parable. The lawyer asked, what must he do? He accurately recites the two great commandments, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. So what's the conclusion of that? You owe your neighbor the debt of love. That's the overriding principle in in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, again, there's a lot of other great learning stuff, but that's the one that we want to look at. You owe your neighbor the debt of love. Verse 27 of Proverbs 3, this is our opening text do not withhold good. Oh, getting back. First point we want to do, how do you be a good neighbor then is meet your obligations. All right. We're going to look at several different ways to be a good neighbor. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. All right. And do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you. Now, the main principle of those two verses is this. If you owe your neighbor anything. And you can pay the debt, pay it when it's due. How does that apply to the parable of the Good Samaritan? The Samaritan could have said, you know, I'm in a hurry. Uh, I have a meeting starting in 15 minutes. Uh, I'll come back. No. (laughs) He He was in need right at that moment. And the Samaritan actually because of who we are as the image bearers of God, owed that man the help that he could give to him. What was more important than seeing a man who was half dead? And the scripture says he was half dead. In other words, left alone, that man was going to die. So applications, first and foremost, of course, is pay your bills on time. If you have the money, now obviously if you don't have the money, you can't pay it. But that's for another sermon, why you have (laughs) <laughs> Bills you can't pay. all right. But the point is, if you owe something, pay it when you owe it. All right. If you have given your word to do something at a particular time, live up to your obligation. This is one of my biggest pet peeves. It's, uh, you have no idea. I, it tests my sanctification every time somebody does I will be there, Pastor, and then the day comes. And they don't show up. It's not right. Because every time we open our mouths and say yes or no, we're swearing an oath. That's the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you say, oh, by the way, I'll be there Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. Where should you be? Wherever you said you're going to be at 9 o'clock. Okay. And in our society today, it's just become, popular. yeah, I'll be there. And eh, I don't feel like it when I get, you know, I'm tired this morning, I worked late last night, I'm not gonna be there. Uh, I've taken this so far that when somebody has an appointment with me, if something comes up, even if it's an emergency, I call that person and I ask permission to, to cancel and to reschedule the meeting. All right. And if some of you may have already had heard me say something like that. Listen, something came up. I know we're supposed to meet. Can we put this meeting off? Because I have promised that. Per- if when I say if you ask me if we can meet, let's say, you know, Thursday afternoon at two o'clock and I say yes, I've just given you my word that I'll be there. And if something happens, I need your permission to to reschedule that. Otherwise, I got to be there. Make sense? Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether, you, whether he is one of your countrymen or, or one of your aliens who is in your land, in your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets. That's the way they had the contracts back in those days. I mean, now if we want to put that off and get paid every two weeks or whatever, whatever the obligation is. For he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he may not cry against you to the Lord, and it becomes sin in you. Notice, the Old Testament says it's a sin. If you're withholding something that is due somebody else, legally do them, it is sin in you. Leviticus 19, verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. Okay, and again, that was the culture of the day, but whatever it turns out to be, however, when you owe whatever payday is, you have to pay that. All right. And of course, it's, the principle goes beyond an employer and employee. If you owe anything, and we gotta say who it is. By the way, let me just point out. I might say this later, but I'll point it out here anyway. Leviticus 19. Right? Anybody know what's special about Leviticus 19? It's often called the love chapter of the old covenant law because it, Leviticus 19 is full of statements just like this. Talking how to treat your neighbor. How do you, it's, it's a very practical way of, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. How do I love my neighbor? Well, go to Leviticus 19. You'd think I'd say go to someplace in the New Testament, wouldn't you? Well, of course you can do that too. But it's in the old covenant law. All right? Those who, the, the theologies today that tell you that the old law is abrogated are so wrong on so many levels, because they're abrogating this type of behavior, which is mandated by law. Now notice, you'll notice as we go through, not only is it mandated, this is law now, okay? We find it in the wisdom literature, the same things, the same principles we're finding in Proverbs. If you want to be wise, obey the law, okay? And where else do we find it? In the New Covenant. Restated a little bit differently, but it's restated. So we find it in every aspect of scripture. Here's James 5, 4. Behold, the pay of the the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Notice the principle, the same principle. Old Testament law. Wisdom literature, New Testament. God doesn't talk out of both sides of his mouth and he is unchanging. Romans 13, this is in the, the section where we, where Paul is talking about the, our obligation to the governments. Okay. And talking about that, he says, oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. There's that debt of love. What, 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 do you, what should you owe to somebody else? Not money. should owe love. For he who, has lo- who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now, funny, isn't it? Paul obviously didn't think that the law was abrogated, did he? He says, because if you love your neighbor, you're fulfilling the law. James 4, 17, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. If that Samaritan had looked at the fellow and did what the Levite and the priest did and walked on the other side, what is it? It's sin. Oh. I said it, yeah. I stuttered. <laughs> Micah 6 8. <laughs> He's starting already. Actually, uh, never mind. (laughs) Micah 6, 8. He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Second point from these verses in Proverbs. First one is meet your obligations. Second one is don't stir up trouble. Proverbs 3, this is the, the verses we looked at, our opening. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives in security beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Right? In other words, your neighbor should be able to trust you. It, it, would, it would be a shame to have a Christian living in a neighborhood and have the people around him and the people that he, you come in contact with not trust you. The scripture condemns in the strongest language those who devise evil against their neighbor. Proverbs 6, verses 12 to 14. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. And perverse mouth doesn't just mean cursing or, or unsaying unsavory things. A perverse mouth, yeah, anyth- anything that is, should not be coming out of your mouth, whether it be uh, a lie, whether it be deception. He who winks with his eye, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers. you got to love Proverbs. And look at, what is that describing? The con man. And a con man is not just a professional scammer or, or grifter. I have a confession to make. <laughs> All right, I love movies about one of my favorite movies is The Sting, all right? But for entertainment value, not for truth value of it. There was a TV show on, it was actually produced in, in, by the BBC, it was called Hustle. And it was again very similar to The Sting, it was a story about these con men, all right? Now of course they glorified them, they, they would never their motto was you can't steal from, you can't scam an honest man, you know. So they had their own code and stuff. But I, I like it because of the workings of, you know, to get their con to work. But that's the, I'll repent. I'll repent. But that's who that's, who that's describing. Who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Notice, continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Don't stir up trouble. Deuteronomy 27, 24. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret. James 3, 14 15. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Notice, cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret. Don't stir up trouble. Cursed is he, I I repeated, boy, I guess, I must have been tired when I did this. That's twice now. We have been looking at the negative side, what not to do. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret. But the scripture also gives the positive side. Right. It doesn't just tell you, don't do this. It tells you what to do. Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. And now we've seen Leviticus 19. It's coming right from the law. We see it in the prophets. We see it in the whole old, co- old covenant. Look again at verse 30. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Let me sum this up very simply. Don't be a troublemaker. That's that's basically what Proverbs is saying. We are not called to make trouble, but to be peacemakers, which is our third point from these texts. Live in peace. Live in peace. Proverbs 14, 21. He who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. How do you live in peace? By treating people the way you would have people treat you. Proverbs eleven twelve, He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silent. Now, this is a subtle one. OK, but again, it's another one of my favorites. Sometimes it's better just to keep your mouth shut. Here's the principle. Just because you can say something doesn't mean you should. I have people come to me periodically and say, "Pastor, I think you should know." Time out. Don't go any further. Why should I know this? You know, are you t- are you going to tell me that somebody's in sin, then you have an obligation. Not to tell me, but to go to the person. All right. And sometimes it's better just if it's not sin, but something that's maybe you just don't like, it's better just to keep your mouth shut. Biblical principle. A man of understanding keeps silent. Now the key is to know when to keep silent and when you must open your mouth. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is counted prudent. I love that's one of my. I actually had a, a my college physics professor. All right, brilliant, brilliant physicist. He was a Jewish fella. He actually quoted this, but in his own thing. He he he. And I never forget. In front of the class, he says. Francis, let me tell you this. Sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut and appear and a, a pair of fool than to open your mouth and prove it.
0: <laughs>
1: but he was, I don't know if he knew he was quoting scripture, but, but he was. He's quoting Psalm, Proverbs 17, 28. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now notice. So far as it depends on you, in other words, Paul understood that there were times that you were not going to live in peace. But if those times come, don't let it be your fault. You do everything you can reasonably, biblically to live in peace, but don't let it be your fault if the peace vanishes. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. Oh, and this, again, another one of my favorite verses. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? <laughs> how, how often do you see this? Somebody will say something that's sharp and barbing, all right? And it hurts. They realize it. Oh, I was just kidding. <laughs> Meanwhile, they've
0: got their
1: point. Yeah. What does Proverbs say? It says, you're a crazy man. So it says, like a madman who throws flaming arrows into the middle of a crowd. That's what you are if you hurt somebody, especially with your tongue. And you you know, I didn't mean that. You know, I was just kidding. You know, I never mean to hurt you. Yeah. Being a good neighbor means loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor is not just a new covenant mandate. We've seen that. It was built into God's law. Leviticus 19 has been called the love chapter of God's law. Go home today, read Leviticus 19, and see what your obligations are under the old covenant law. It outlines many of the principles we see in the book of Proverbs. So, do you want to be wise? Love your neighbor. Questions? Comments? Yes, John.
0: We even had it come up uh, when we were looking to buy a church, but uh, the idea of oh, no man anything.
1: Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm.
0: regards to you know, a church with a mortgage, just explain that, clarify that.
1: Yeah, well, again, and this is why it's important to understand what Proverbs is, is all about. Proverbs is giving you, it's not laying down law it's explaining the principles of law. It's better not to owe. Why? Because the, le- the borrower becomes a slave of the lender. So whatever you do, you should be striving to get out of debt. Look, there are certain things you just, especially in our society, you just have to be in debt for. But the goal is to be out of debt as to the extent that you can. That's how wisdom literature is applied. Any other questions? No? Yes?
0: Could you kind of just discuss a little bit the, um, uh, the verse that says, um, so far as it concerns you, be, be at peace with all men, and just reconcile that with, uh, um, you know, G- Jesus saying, I came not to bring peace but a sword, and how, you know, peace, uh, Peace doesn't necessarily mean the absence of conflict, and how they, you know we, you know, as Christians, I think that I think that, that we do tend too much in this society today to just consider peace as the absence of conflict, mm-hmm. and therefore not you know engage the culture with the full gospel.
1: Yeah. That's an excellent question, and there's really it's a very simple question to answer. Uh, Firstly, the concept of peace is used differently, just like the concept of love is used differently in the scripture. And the context is what defines how it should be how it should be used. The the basic concept of peace most often used in scripture is peace with God. Okay, and when Jesus says, "I came not to bring peace," Because he's bringing the truth of God, which is always going to be in conflict with the lie of Satan. So there's that cosmic war, which will not be won until the end of the age. All right? That's different than us living personally in peace with our neighbor. All right, If we are living as Christians in our neighborhood and with the people that we come in contact with, because we know the neighbors expanded on that and we are in conflict because of the gospel, so be it. But if it's, if it's because you have not lived up to your obligations or you have stirred up trouble, that's what the scripture uh, uh, rails against. And that's why Paul says, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. So don't let you be the thing. If it's the gospel, then so be it. Okay, does that make sense? So as we, as we are going about living our lives, don't let you as an individual give an offense by your actions unless those actions are the preaching, of the preaching of the word. And in fact, let me even say this. Sometimes the way the gospel is given is the offense and not the gospel itself. And that's what you have to be careful of. Jesus... It, we should really take the example. How, if you go through the, the Gospels, and see how did Jesus give the gospel? How did he call people to repentance? To sinners, other than those who were leading other people astray, he was always gracious. Woman by the well, can I? Have, would you give me a drink? Gets into a discussion and tells. Obviously, has love for that woman. Okay. Even the rich young ruler says he loved He When he left, he, he felt compassion for him. All right. Who did he rail against? The Pharisees, the, Pharisees, the scribes, the hypocrites, those who were in charge of the, of the camp of Israel who were supposed to be teaching the truth. Even with Nicodemus, he says, Are you a ruler in Israel and you don't know these basic facts about the gospel? So we have to be careful, even how we present the gospel, that we are not an offense. If they take offense with the gospel, fine. That's the way it's, that's the way the nature of it. But don't let it, don't let it be you. See, there's, in fact, even the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where, why do we have some people who claim to be Christians who are pacifists? Because they misinterpret the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is meant for individual behavior. Somebody strikes you on the cheek. What does the scripture say? Turn the other cheek. But why? Why are you turning the other cheek? To give them an opportunity to strike it again? Yeah, the answer is no, because if you're putting the other cheek, say, yeah, go ahead, hit this one, you're tempting them to sin. And that's not that's not the message of the scripture. What you're doing, you're saying you shouldn't have done that. I'm gonna give you a chance. Kiss this one. Okay? That's individual behavior. Is that how nations treat other nations? No. (laughs) There's a difference between because of covenant responsibility, all right? It is not the purview of individuals to declare war, all right? It, we ought to be peacemakers. It is, uh, it is okay and some, not only right but justified for nations to declare war at times. Yeah?
0: Isn't, isn't, isn't that, though, doesn't that verse just also teach like, that we're to suffer um, any injury that could be borne? Like it's just a slap on the face, it's not like a fatal or mortal, you know, wound to you or your family or something like that to slap. It's not like you're getting shot at. And yeah. like if someone's shooting you, you know, you got to continue to stand there and get shot at. It's, right. just a, it's just a slap in the face. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we can.
1: Yeah, which is a euphemism for all kinds of, di- of different things. But again, uh, it depends on how far you take that, too, because you, there comes a point. What if, what if it's a punch on the face and not a uh, slap on the face? You still obligated to turn the other cheek? <laughs> see what I mean? It might on the, the <laughs> <laughs> it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah, see, the point is, there's wisdom involved. And the idea is, in each particular circumstance, how can you represent the gospel and react Christi- in a Christian-like manner? If somebody punches you in the face, all right, the idea is that you should not take your revenge. Now obviously if he's wailing your punches and everything else, of course you have the right, perfect right to defend yourself. But you also have the right to take him to court. That's not contrary to the gospel. And that's what some of the pacifists do. They say, oh, no, no, we would never do that. And that's why they won't go fight for the nation and all kinds of other things. There's a difference. And that's why one of the things you'll hear in this church from anybody that's in the pulpit or you're teaching Sunday school is that there is uh, context. The context of the teaching is important. All right. Because that's a, because it's not it's not always clear black and white. Because, and that otherwise you wouldn't need the book of Proverbs and you would not need the book of James because those two books are particularly wisdom literature. And the wisdom is to tell you how. In fact, that's why we have the book of Leviticus. We have 10 commandments. And what do we say? Those laws are enough. Right. We don't need any more laws. That, but then God went on and gave us a whole bunch of other laws. Why? To explain how do you apply those Ten Commandments to, you, to the culture. And so we need those other laws, the ones from Leviticus and all. Otherwise, how do we know? What do we, you know Thou shalt not commit murder. What's murder? Is every taking of life murder? No. The no. Bible teaches that it's not. Not every taking of life is, is worthy of the death penalty. Right. You need the you need the other books. Uh, That's why I like what Gary North refers to to these other laws as he calls them the case laws, the case laws of Israel. And that's where God explains how to apply the Ten Commandments to the society. And there's a difference between how a, a nation applies them and how an individual applies them because of the different covenant responsibilities. Does that answer your question? Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, look, it's a very complex subject. I mean, that's why you know, look at it, just look at all the the books. Uh, I, Gary North has written a volume this big on the. I, I think it was Deuteronomy or Leviticus, one of the others. It's it's that thick. Just trying to you know a th- commentary on it. So yeah, it's it's very complex. But the. But the basic facts, how do you be a good neighbor? It's not complex. It's pretty simple. Treat your neighbor as you would like to be treated. Okay? All right. John, would you close this in prayer? and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen.